You are listening to a Nerd Room Podcast, a member of the Star Wars Commonwealth Podcast Network. Be sure to check out more from the Star Wars Commonwealth on the web at StarWarsCommonwealth.com and take your first steps into a larger world. Hey everyone and welcome to Nerd Room. We talk all things Star Wars, Marvel, and DC. This is episode number 127. We'll be discussing Ant-Man and the Wasp. I'm one of your host, Tim. I'm Troy. And I'm Sanjay. Gentlemen, welcome back to the review table. I'm excited. I am stoked to talk Marvel's 20th entry into the MCU and the final Marvel Studio film for 2018 wow. in Ant-Man and the Wasp. How you guys doing? How you feeling? about the end of comic book movies for Marvel this year. Well, for just the MCU, I mean, we still got Venom coming up. Eh. <laughs> <laughs> we'll discuss that at some point, whether that's a Marvel film or not. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No. How you guys feel about Ant-Man and the Wasp? How, you, how was your experience with this film? Like, the hype, I think, was pretty real. You know, going in, there's this perception that this was going to be a much smaller film, pun fully intended there. <laughs> they were coming off the back end of two huge Marvel Studios films. And me personally, I was looking for something a little different. Pretty intense film in Infinity War we just got. We just finished reviewing that a couple months ago. Brilliant film, but I was ready for this to hit. This being a bit of a, a prequel in a sense, not directly addressing the events of Infinity War in the bulk of the film, but really getting down to the crux of this universe and building up Ant-Man and the Wasp as big players in the MCU. Because going forward, we're going to see a lot of them. So like, how are you guys feeling coming out of the theater from Ant-Man and the Wasp? Yeah, um, coming out, I saw it on the Thursday. I saw it at the 6 o'clock show in the IMAX. So I got some movie posters for y'all. But I mean, and by y'all, I mean Tim and Troy. But uh, <laughs> not for everyone listening. Um, but I forgot them at home. Sorry, guys. That's all right. <laughs> you say that now, but once the mics turn off, they start beating me. It's not like I took that frame down, got ready for an Ant-Man and Wasp poster to put in. Shined so it up it. with no. the Windex. I literally took that off the wall. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, coming out of it, you know, I was I was happy with it, but I wasn't over the moon as I was with Infinity War or Black Panther. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like it's maybe... pretty high bar. It's true. It, it was a pretty high bar, but I feel like maybe... My expectations, box office-wise and movie-wise, was maybe just a little bit too high. I, I still enjoyed it, but, you know, I was looking at the reviews, and I saw, you know, it's got a really good Rotten Tomatoes score, so I was expecting to be blown away. And you know what? It was just all right for me. Yeah, I'm kind of right there with you. Um, <laughs> I enjoyed the first Ant-Man film quite a bit. Yeah. I wasn't expecting it to be, you know, like Infinity War or Black Panther or, or Ragnarok or, or Spidey, but um, I was expecting a little bit of the humor to hit with me and gel a little bit more. I really did like the story aspect a lot more this time around. The humor was kind of lacking for me, but all in all, when I left the theater, I was, I was pretty excited just because of a certain scene yeah. in yeah. the film, yeah. obviously. But all in all, it's, it's an okay film. I, it was really nice to go back to something small, too, coming yeah. up with mm -hmm. all this huge massive epic films going on so i really did appreciate that yeah, yeah. you know yeah. coming out of this thing i had an absolute blast in the theater i went with my wife and my daughter i'll tell that story in a second <laughs> but my first impression of the film was that 
it was an easy watch. It was a fun mm-hmm. watch, and it was an engaging film. I felt myself really liking Paul Rudd as Ant-Man. Again, yes, we've seen him a couple times. This character is awesome. He puts on yeah. quite the show. Evangeline Lilly really gets her time to shine in this film, and I even like Michael Douglas's Hank Pym. In the first film, he didn't have a ton to do. And again, here, he isn't given a whole lot to do, but I like the character. Every character that's on screen here, I find myself wanting more, with the exception of Sonny Birch. But <laughs> overall, this film was a ton of fun for me. Like I, It was exactly what I was expecting to be. Like I didn't need this to be a humongous film, but I think by the end of this film, I don't know if you guys agree with me or not, but it looks like the Ant-Man and the Wasp now have their own corner of the MCU to sit in. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, definitely, it feels like Emma and the Wasp kind of separated from the rest of the MCU. I mean, this being a prequel as well kind of separates that. But there was some connectivity that crossed over with Infinity War. And, you know, some of the dialogue in Infinity War with this one, you know, to me, didn't really make a lot of sense. I don't know, like... Well, maybe we'll get into that later. We'll jump into that when we talk a little bit right, more about right, the timeline. Right. But yeah, I, I, there, I've broken that down a little bit because this has a tendency to jump around. It, it's all in order. But it does a lot of reminding you about Ant-Man, Civil War, and then, you know, as we get further on, it starts to kind of get clued into what's going on currently within the MCU. Yeah. But overall, I think what we're going to do here, so those are kind of our high-level spoiler-free reviews. So from this point forward, we're not going to shackle ourselves with non-spoiler talk. So for those of you that haven't seen the film, take a break, come back after you've seen the film, because from this point forward, we're going to do full spoilers. Now, this is just an opportunity for us to talk freely about certain things, and we will jump into kind of this breakdown of the film like we usually do for all of our reviews, but at the top here, we're going to break this down in a a bit more detail with reference to the box office, how this film was developed, where it actually came from, some of the MCU ties, and then we're going to jump into kind of that detailed breakdown. But my story for how I saw this film... (laughs) Now, I saw it I saw it on Saturday, so it was a couple of days later. I didn't have the opportunity to get there opening night, so that's a rare thing for me with Marvel films, but plans just didn't evolve that way. But I went with my wife. She really wanted to see that, although not having seen Ant-Man, so it was a little confusing for her at that <laughs> point. But we took our daughter. Now, she's three and a half, and we, couldn't, we didn't want to pay for a babysitter and all this, so we said to ourselves, what if we just got, like, the top row on the far left of the theater and put a movie onto the iPad for her. (laughs) (laughs) You know, got a kid ticket. We paid for the ticket. Yeah. And so we did that. My (laughs) wife and I went and watched the film where my daughter was headphones on, iPad, (laughs) watching a Disney film. That's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) So it was a little different experience for us because she was there and we were a bit worried about like if she got clued into maybe some of the violence or anything like that because she's still pretty innocent doesn't quite get all that yeah and but no she was great it was kind of a different but pretty cool experience (laughs) and it was really the only way that my wife and i could both see the film without paying 80 bucks to a babysitter for the evening you know yeah it was already expensive not going to the theaters but so that was kind of my my viewing experience (laughs) nice (laughs) a little different yeah (laughs) um but let's jump into kind of the development of this film. So we talked last week a little bit about Ant-Man and we've yet to do our Ant-Man retrospective review, but we will get to that in a few short months. But overall, you know, Ant-Man was a a success. Now it did open to $57 million domestically and it had about $180 million domestic run, a little bit more on the international side, but it wasn't a resounding success 
like some of the other films that we've seen in recent memory with regards to even that same year with Age of Ultron, this year Black Panther, Ragnarok last year, Infinity War, of course. Now, those are bigger event-style films. This is a sequel, a follow-up to one of the lower-grossing films. And so when this rolled out in 2015... You know, we've all praised it in the past about being a very good film, sort of a heist film with a comedic tone to it. You have a comedic director and some comedic writers and the main actor in here being Paul Rudd. He's known for his comedic chops, the delivery of kind of that humor. And so that was one thing that was was quite heavily praised with an Ant-Man. And that got almost an immediate announcement of a follow-up to that film. So in October 2015, a couple months after the release of Ant-Man in July, Ant-Man and the Wasp was announced as the title and scheduled to be released in July of 2018. And now here we are. Now, the interesting thing about this, if you go back to Ant-Man, is that Edgar Wright was on tap to write this forever. And that didn't really come to fruition. The, the universe had evolved so much since his entry onto the scene is that his original script and ideas just didn't meld with what the MCU was anymore. That was intended to come out at the start and have a bit more freedom to not really integrate. Peyton Reed, the director, now he directed Ant-Man, came in at the 11th hour, kind of not, I wouldn't say saved that film because it was more or less ready to go, but he delivered this film across the finish line. Reading quotes from him, he's talking about his excitement for this film because he basically gets to go ground up on this. He gets to write and craft the story along with Paul Rudd and a few other writers. And he gets to actually produce this film in the style that he wants. He gets to put his little twist on the film. Now, I think you are still seeing remnants of Edgar Wright in this because of the tone and the way it was set up in Ant-Man. There's certain scenes like the Lewis scene. We got a replication of that as well, him talking around. So they hit similar beats. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that you, that we did see in Ant-Man. But overall, I think Peyton Reed delivered a fairly holistic film that fit into the universe that had its own spin on it. Now, do you guys see that? Do you guys see Peyton Reed, his fingerprints on this, or at least the fingerprints from Ant-Man? It felt to me like a very similar film. Yeah, I would say so. Totally felt like uh, the same, you know, the, from the same makers as the last film of Batman. Yeah. Um, I definitely felt more of his DNA, obviously, more so than Edgar Wright, but you do see some of those little things like nods, like the Lewis scene. Yeah. And he's doing this whole, whole uh, storytelling, which is a, a great scene, by the way. Probably one of mm-hmm. my favorites in the film. <clears throat> yeah, totally. Uh, it definitely feels like it is the same vibe as the first one. Uh, to me, like the humor and stuff, just not quite there compared to the first one. You know, I think the first one hit more often than not for me. And maybe that's just because Edgar Wright was more involved and he's such an accomplished director. He's done so many great films like Baby Driver and, I, you know, a ton of other good movies. So Peyton Reed, I don't really know what else he's done. Ant-Man. Um, <laughs> right? Like besides Ant-Man, I don't know. So Yeah, I'm not sure of his deep filmography, but overall, I think, you know, as far as crafting the film in and putting his own like you said dna into this you know i I can see it there i can feel i can also feel paul rudd's presence in Mm. this film a lot not just from the acting perspective but from his almost character development like he was a writer he was working with peyton reed on this and i it's interesting that you guys are saying from a comedic angle that you're not quite getting that yeah i i got a lot of it (laughs) there are quite a few scenes that i found myself laughing out loud at and most of it was from Paul Rudd or his crew. Yeah. Like, I guess in a sense that, you know, we talked about it a little bit before the podcast here about how this felt much more like a Wasp and Hank Pym film than it did an Ant-Man film. So maybe what you guys are getting, and I'm just maybe putting words into your mouth here, but is that I found the scenes that were heavily focused around Paul Rudd 
were quite funny. But then you shift tone a little bit and shift focus over to Wasp and Hank Pym, and they're a lot more serious. The delivery of lines is different. And Hank Pym, he does have that like gruff, almost slight comedic chop to him, but it's more of that that realism that he's pumping into both Paul Rudd and Evangeline Lilly that makes it a bit more funny. But yeah, I guess I can see now that I'm talking through it how this film because the focal point, I don't think, is completely on Paul Rudd's Ant-Man. Yeah. You don't get that same kind of, I wouldn't say constant, but that, that overtone of more of a comedy, like a heist comedy here. It's a slightly yeah. different film. I, I think for me, the shtick kind of wore off. I mean, what they pulled from the last one was was pretty good with the crew. The crew, for me, didn't work at all. Um, no. I didn't even know T.I. was going to be in this film because I, I was hoping he was. And when he showed yeah. up, it's was like, nice. And he didn't deliver so well for me. The goofy friend with the accent, his jokes oh, were really yeah. flat. They, it just yeah. wasn't gelling with me. Paul Rudd was great. I, oh, I yeah. just think that's his experience. He's, he's yeah. a class act. He's, he's fantastic. Even Lewis, um, uh, Pena. Yeah, you know, Michael Pena. Yeah, even he didn't hit all the way for me. Um, and I guess with Michael Douglas, I felt like he was, because he's not really meant to be funny anyways, but I no. felt like he was just a grump. Like for me, yeah. He, yeah. Was, he was very unlikable for me. I just didn't yeah. gel with him at all. He was just too much of like a, a hard ass throughout the whole film for me. Um, that's that's about it. I'd have to say. Yeah. For the for the comedy effect for me, that's how I felt. For me, it wasn't so much like the jokes and you know, in and of themselves, it was more like the timing of the jokes. So you'd have a scene like, um, where, you know, Ant-Man is tied up, Wasp is tied up, um, Hank Pym's all tied up and you have, you know, Ben Foster there and they're just like chatting. And all of a sudden his phone goes off and it's like this like weird ringtone. And it's his daughter talking about like losing her, uh, soccer shoes. And it's supposed to play off as like this like comedy bit, but I was like, you know, they're, they're building this tension. You know, you got this like reversal of like this guy you thought was a good guy turns out to be a bad guy. And then, like, that's how you break the tension. To me, I was like, I don't know. Like, I hate, you know, it kind of took me out of that scene. I was. I, I actually was... really like that scene. Yeah. That's so okay. funny. That scene happened. And I was, that's one of the scenes where I was like laughing out loud. For, for me, that's so yeah. weird how it's all subjective. You yeah. know oh, what I mean? Oh, for but sure. For sure. For sure. That scene for me, I was like laughed out loud. Yeah. Really? For sure. Yeah. It's okay. Crazy. Yeah. Cause yeah. I was like watching it and I was like, I was like, oh man, like, okay, the first bit was kind of funny. And then, like, they kept playing. And then, like, it's like, I'm missing my soccer shoes. It's like, I was like, man, like, I don't know, like, uh, maybe it's just, like, it has to do with, like, setting up the villain, and that's one thing that I didn't think they did particularly well in this movie, um, so maybe that has something to do with it, but, yeah, to me, that scene just kind of felt like a miss. Like yeah. a, I, don't, I don't know if it's, uh, maybe it was uh, Lawrence Fishburne, the way he acted up, because the tension was building, yeah. you could tell he was trying to avoid the call, and then eventually he just snapped, and he answered <laughs> the phone, and for me, it's like, ah, oh, love it. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that yeah. moment there, and we'll talk a bit, a bit more of this when we talk about Bill Foster as we get into the film. But that moment there, I agree it undercut the tension, but the purpose of it, I think, was to humanize Bill Foster. Yeah. Bill Foster was not meant to be a villain. He was mm-hmm. meant to be someone supporting a girl that was in a lot of pain and had been through kind of a lot of trials and tribulations and kind of a really hard point in her life where she's, you know, on the brink of death. Because you look at him a couple times at like, I'm not killing anyone. Yeah. You know, I can't ignore this because the daughter. And there's quite a few times in this film where they make an effort to humanize Bill Foster. I think mm-hmm. they want to use him later. Yeah. And they just couldn't do a full 180 and say, look, this guy went from scientist to mad scientist. Now he's evil villain because he wants 
X powers from the quantum universe. You know, they really yeah. could have went down a path where it was like, okay, Bill Foster is actually using her to get powers and he's going to become evil Goliath. You know, <laughs> they, they could have yeah. really went down there. For sure. Yeah. But I think, and I agree with you that Marvel had, does have a tendency from time to time to undercut those serious moments with comedy, with a joke. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, like you said, it comes down to how it's timed. I felt it was executed fairly well in here. If you step back and look at the purpose of some of the jokes, what they were trying to accomplish with character development, but that one, yeah, I, it was, it was fine. And then the ants pop, you know, so there's, there's a lot to, we'll get into some of this in a bit more detail, but I agree that there's, there's some moments that feel a bit forced. And I think you're the guy with the accent like that. That's one of them. But overall, I, I was I laughed quite a yeah. bit. My wife laughed quite a bit. You know, there's a few moments that, and they're almost those jokes that hit you and you think about them for two seconds, and then you laugh. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's stuff. I don't know. It's kind of a weird kind of comedy. I would think that you have to almost think a little. What does this? Okay, yeah. So right. yeah, it's interesting. But I think overall, from from a perspective, from what I'm getting here, is that there there are some issues, of course, as there are with all films. But we all enjoyed it, right? I would say overall, yeah, I did yeah. enjoy it, yeah. Yeah, and it seems that most people enjoyed it. The general reaction, as we've been talking for the last couple of weeks, has been relatively positive. Yeah, there are some criticisms here and there, but this, as we talked last week, has a Rotten Tomato score of 86%, audience score of 79%, and that's almost exactly aligned with the original Ant-Man. You know, 82% Rotten Tomatoes, 86% audience score. So we aren't all the way through this so there's a few more reviews to come and all that but this is probably gonna even out around this so we're looking at kind of your average ish rotten tomato score and yes we understand the the flaws with rotten tomato on that (laughs) but it is for the most part a relative barometer or really the only one we have besides our own personal opinions to gauge kind of relative interest in this film overall really positive now let's talk about box office here yeah we always like talking about (laughs) box office and of course we have our box office fantasy pool so i'm going to be posting something because for the first time i've taken the lead (laughs) but sunjay he he took ant-man and the wasp this is going to be the big follow-up to avengers infinity war a lot of hype behind it a lot of hype behind marvel studios as we build into avengers 4 now Mm -hmm. this is the third to last film before we end this big infinity arc before we jump into phase four, into the new Marvel, if we want to call it that at this point, all new, all different, whatever you want to call yeah. it. Yeah. But this film did rake in about $75 million and a bit of change domestically. And it did about $85 million globally. So a worldwide haul of about $150 million. Now this is being heralded as a massive success relative to Solo, which was a <laughs> box office bomb. So, no, I'm only kidding. <laughs> but overall, I think this this did about as expected. Now, we had predicted a little bit higher, kind of north of $85 million, all of us did. And so do you guys think that the $20 million bump that it's that has jumped from its original or from the original Ant-Man, which debuted to $57 million. So this film has a $20 million jump on that. Do you think that is representative of what? I don't know. Fatigue. Are we done with Marvel for this year? Or is this just a smaller film? Like we talked about at length with Solo, are the expectations for a follow-up to one of the smaller grossing films, but also one of the films that costs the least to make, is, is this enough? Is this a good result, do you think? Um, I'm going to say, you know, slightly disappointing. Not like a bad result, just like a disappointing result. 
in my opinion. You know, seventy five million for a film that made fifty million or was it fifty five million the opening weekend? Fifty seven. Fifty seven. So a twenty million dollar bump, as you said. You know, that's not that's not that much. Um, you know, I think Marvel maybe made a mistake in placing this one after Infinity War. I think maybe if they had placed this one after Black Panther and then have an end credit scene that ties in directly to Infinity War, maybe showing Thanos show up or something to get people really hyped up for Infinity War. Not so much to help Infinity War, but to help this one. Because I feel like this one maybe, as you said, got overlooked. People were like hyped for Infinity War and then they say, okay, you know, we got the gut punch with the snap, but now we're going back before that. Like to me, it doesn't carry the narrative forward. And I feel like that's kind of a mistake. Yeah, no, I think this is fine. I think the the studio should be happy with what they got. This is Ant Man. He's like the, like, <laughs> no pun intended. He's the smallest character of yeah. every Avenger. Like he's he's lower than Hawkeye. He's lower than Black Widow. Like he's kind of almost like a, he's like a C lister. You know what I mean? So for him to make this kind of money for a budget, I couldn't tell you what the budget is. One sixty one. Yeah, see, I was gonna say it can't be anything or one sixty something like that. Yeah, it yeah. can't be anything over than yeah one hundred sixty plus. So I think this is fine for what it is. It's gonna make back that money and more so. Um, so I wouldn't really sweat over that, um, for where it fits in the timeline or at least like how you'd market it. I feel like this is fine, actually. I mean, you're coming off the heels of Black Panther and riding that momentum of, uh, Infinity War, obviously. So if you're going to see Ant-Man, you're either going to see it because of Infinity War or you like the first one. Mm -hmm. I don't think you're really going to attract anything outside of that beyond that. So I think it's right for me. But I just feel like, you know, it's coming back, you know, back to back over 650 million dollar movies mm-hmm. domestically yeah and only open it opens to 75 million like i feel like they should have been more of a bump like i'm trying to think like look at iron man 3 that came out after now it granted it is iron man exactly. but if you look at how much more that movie made that movie made a billion dollars worldwide that's iron man everybody in the dog knew who iron man was there's still people out there that don't know who ant-man is it's true but i mean like he was in civil war and Ant and iron man had two movies before but the second one you compare like the results of the second one to the third one there's a massive jump. It's bigger than twenty million. Fifty million dollar jump. Yeah, so I mean yeah. that's that's a lot. But we're still comparing Iron Man to Ant Man. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, oh yeah, I, I wasn't expecting see. like it to like pull in a billion dollars worldwide, yeah. but I was just saying like maybe you know I, when I picked this, I picked this. Um, so it went like me and then uh, Troy and then mm-hmm. Tim and then Tim again, Troy and me. So this was the sixth pick. Right. I picked this over uh, like Wreck It Ralph. I picked it over a bunch of movies, and I was like. You know, in my opinion, I was thinking this is going to make probably 250 to 300 million. So maybe my expectations were too high, but I was thinking, you know, it's got a bump. It's coming in after Infinity War. It's the last MCU movie. Um, People will be hyped for that because that's going to be like the biggest movie of all time. So, you know, that was my reasoning for picking it so high. Like that six is pretty, pretty big spot. I mean, seventh, if you include Infinity War. So I was expecting this to be a top 10 film grossing but i don't think it is i don't think it's gonna last uh, i don't think it's gonna make the top 10 this year no and i think that overall as far as expectation wise you know we had overinflated this a little bit on our prediction but you go back and look at what industry was predicting they're predicting just north of 80 million dollars yeah. so this is pretty close to expectation you compare it to another sequel in thor the dark world which made i think 85 million dollars so a 20 million dollar bump on its sequel yes it isn't riding off the coattails of infinity war but it was doing that off the back end of avengers so i think in relative sense this is performing almost in line with what industry is predicting and what i think what we should expect from a box office with a character of ant-man scale like when we're going into the next films the next phase we're looking at captain marvel that's going to be a huge film so i think What's nice about this film is that, you know, we keep saying small, you know, no puns intended, but 
this is a relatively small film, and I think it's kind of nice that we can take these breaks. Like you look at Black Panther, cultural phenomenon. You look at Infinity War, biggest film of the year by far. This. 10 years of, of storytelling building into this film. You even go back to Thor Ragnarok. This was a massive twist on this character. So people were very excited for that. I think if Ant-Man's to get that next Thor Ragnarok style of bump, it needs to do something radically different. And this film, to me, it stayed within kind of the safe zone of the Ant-Man pre-constructed universe while referencing the MCU. It didn't do anything big yes giant man was in the film but i don't think anyone ever expected this to be a major game changer the same way black panther was the same way thor ragnarok was for that film franchise that radically changed the character and also inserted hulk and planet hulk into that so this to me yeah it's a film it is an mcu film it's a good film And I think this is what we have to expect for some of these smaller franchises is that, yeah, we're going to do the between 75 and $100 million on a sequel, on a a third film in a franchise. But the event films is where you're going to see these $600 million plus domestic hauls. So I think overall, this is probably just in line. It's Yeah, it's not overperforming. It's not really seeing a huge bump from Infinity War even which is a little bit shocking. I think it's just performing like an MCU sequel of a smaller character. Well, didn't we see a bump from Infinity War? Well, I don't know. Would this have gotten the same style of bump just being an MCU Ant-Man follow-up? No, that's what I'm saying. So the Infinity War gave it a bump. Like if if Infinity War never came out, and we just got a follow-up, would have been done in 76. It probably would have done maybe 10 mil. Who knows? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Pretty sure Infinity War gave it a bump. Do you think so? Okay, talking about 75 mil, if, okay, so we got two films coming up, Aquaman and Captain Marvel. Mm-hmm. If those two films do 75 million opening weekend, would you consider them both a success? The origin stories, yeah. Yeah? Yeah, it's its, it's, it's first standalone film out the gate. If Aquaman does 76 mil... Depends on the budget too, though, right? Mm-hmm. Seventy-six mil is not a bad number. Like that's that's a lot of money. Still. Yeah, you know I, I, mean? I, think, so, I think it's, it's reframing it too because yeah. Solo was seen as a bomb to a lot of people, but and it, it comes made, out to the budget though, right? Yeah, the yeah, budget. Yeah, that's which true. you got, you know, because that's why Justice League failed. This says Justice League, same mm-hmm. thing as uh, Solo. Like the budget was huge. What was it two hundred ninety-six? That was also yeah. an event it's crazy, film. and and it's an event film. Yeah, so it's a yeah. double whammy. So that's like super underperforming. Yeah, you yeah. Know? But for a standalone, if like if you're doing a standalone Aquaman, a standalone. Uh, Miss Marvel, Captain Marvel. Yeah. That's great. 76, yeah. 80. My expectations awesome. would be for if Aquaman hits this mark, it's doing well. If yeah. Captain Marvel does, I don't, I think Captain Marvel needs to be doing more. Like Captain Marvel is going to be another one of those game-changing films. Is yeah, that it's, I it's, guess the way it's, they work It's a Wonder yeah. Woman style of film, right? Yeah. It's Marvel's first go at a female-led superhero. But this is Ant-Man and the Wasp. I was going to say, yeah. True. Yeah. This, well, this is the real mother of the, of the Marvel yeah, Miss Marvel's really. She's the it first is, female. and yeah. I think when we get into the discussion, that this really is a Wasp film. Yeah, mm-hmm. in kind of the bare essence of it. Yeah, but it wasn't particularly marketed that way. Yeah, right. It was called Wasp and the Ant Man. That's a different story. Yeah. It's still preceded <laughs> by Ant Man. Yeah, but it's very much a Wasp story. Yeah, and so the marketing of Cap Marvel is going to be this is Marvel's first female-led superhero film origin story with a female director. Yeah. And that's very similar, and it's going to play similar, I think, to Wonder Woman. So your $100 million-plus debuting. Yeah. You know, this is like, you know, it's the same way that Black Panther performed, right? Yeah. This is your first African-American superhero. This is a big film we've had him introduce, fantastic director. So 
that's that's kind of where I'm sitting with this. Right. But anyways, we're we're, on, <laughs> we're here to talk Ant Man of the Wasp, and we're going to continue to talk about it because we got to do a little bit of MCU timeline discussion here. Oh, right. So we got to figure out where this film sits. We we really when we did a prelude episode, you know, we made it very well known and I think Marvel as a whole, Marvel Studios has made it very well known that this is actually a prequel or at least takes place pre-Infinity War in the MCU timeline. Now, we're not talking finite dates here. Maybe we'll just talk sequential order. But in this film itself, we see numerous different time frames visited over a very short amount of time we go back at the start to 1987 and pick up some of the threads from the original ant-man film where we had hank pym and the original wasp janet van dyne going on this final mission and them losing janet so we get some of that we get an expansion of that scene then we jump into a recap which was very interesting, of 2015's Ant-Man. So we get a, hey, remember Scott Lang? Remember Darren Cross? You remember what happened with the Quantum Realm? I came back. So they really recap and let you know, okay, here we are. And then we do, and we hear some discussion of 2016's Civil War. You know, Evangeline Lilly's Wasp makes very or makes quite a few references to this. There's references to Captain America. And then we go two years into the future where this film takes place. So sometime 2017, 2018, but pre-Infinity War. And then the end credit scene takes us to Infinity War. <laughs> so I think this is probably one of the films that actually spans or at least takes pit stops in several different time frames throughout the MCU. Now, do you think that this film was presented correctly in the sense that we did a little bit of jumping. Yeah, it was sequential. It made references to other events, but it also happened pre-Infinity War. Did you get all of that? Like, was that well enough explained for you guys? I know what Sanjay's going to say, but <laughs> I'll say it was. I say it actually, it all lines up. I, I believe so it does. I mean, obviously, we go into Infinity War. They mentioned that um, Hawkeye and Hank Pym were both... Scott Lang. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Well, again, yeah. Scott Lang is um, it's not on house arrest. Yeah. Right, basically, and then at the end of this film, we know what happens, right? But at the end of this film is also at the end of Infinity War, not at the beginning of Infinity War, not in the middle of Infinity War. It's at the end of Infinity War. So these movies both line up yeah. at the very end, right? What they're doing on the rooftop while other people are disappearing <laughs> and saying emergency—that's another question. But yeah. technically, everything lines up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, like, talking about the timeline. First off, how great was that de-aging technology? Oh my goodness! Oh, was, Pfeiffer, oh wow. yeah, they nice. they nailed it. I was like, is this Batman Returns? <laughs> I know. I like, this is awesome. I know. And then uh, I was like, oh, it's just Batman. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that was amazing. Like the de-aging technology that they've gotten so well, uh, Disney and uh, the Marvel Studios. I mean, it's it's fantastic. Best. Um, talking about the timeline, so two things that I have to bring up on the timeline that coincide with Infinity War. Uh, the first is Infinity War. They're like, oh, we can't use uh, Scott Lang, Ant-Man, because he's under house arrest. And so I was like, okay, maybe in Ant-Man and the Wasp, they'll talk about this. Like, maybe there's a reason for it. But they're only putting him under house arrest because he didn't sign the Sokovia Accords. But literally, the entire world is falling apart. You have Thanos, like, destroying shit. And they're just like, nah ant-man could help you know he could turn into giant man he could turn into ant-man he could provide some assistance but he's under house arrest so we're not even gonna bother going to ask him i was like what like i I expected there to be like a better explanation maybe in the movie they go to ask him or something in a post-credit scene and he turns him down or something like that because it's not like he wouldn't have done it like he goes and helps um janet and uh uh hank pym Pym, yeah just like defeat ghost and i'm like okay like ghost is 
I could defeat Ghost. You just got to talk to her and she'd be done. Like, <laughs> I feel like, I feel like they, you know, and then you got Thanos and then they're just like this big, big baddie. And then they don't even ask him. I was like, come on, man. Like, you got to ask him. And, and then the other thing was, as he said, they're on top of the rooftop. It lines up with Infinity War. But what are they doing when, you know, Thanos is out there. I'm sure, you know, the news reports would have like New York under attack or all these other cities like Wakanda, huge ass battle in Wakanda. Yeah. Yeah. And they're just going to go to the quantum realm just to help ghost. Like to me, I feel like, you know, it lines up, but it doesn't line up if that makes sense. Well, I think some of that, I'm trying to rationalize that in my brain a little (laughs) bit, you know, being the, the Marvel apologist here. Um, the, I, I agree. They could have presented that a little better as to why Wasp and Ant-Man weren't in Infinity War. You know, they spent a lot of time when we're looking at the promos about where were Ant-Man and the Wasp? Well, this is what they were doing. So it, it didn't really give you enough story details as to why they weren't in that film. They could have done something very simple like they had all shrunk themselves to do this away from everyone. And mm-hmm. you know what I mean? There's something that they could have done to have them just not hanging out on a rooftop. Yeah, they're probably across country in San Francisco, wherever this takes place. But at the same time, like you said, these are world stakes. These are world events that are going on. But, you know, when you think about Infinity War, so we have this ship that shows up, right, in New York at the start of the film. And then it pisses off and takes Spider-Man, yeah. Doctor Strange, and that away. They go fight in Titan. And then the whole thing shifts kind of, besides a few little skirmishes, to Wakanda. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So realistically, do they? is there enough out there globally that we know this is a global threat because it's Thanos? More of a cosmic threat almost. Yeah. Universal threat. But does the rest of the world know what's going on? Or is this just another, oh, hey, there's an alien invasion in New York. I guess we've seen that a couple of times. (laughs) The elves came once as well. You know what I mean? Like, is it, was it a prevalent enough event outside of the, the finger snap to have maybe some of the other heroes like a Hawkeye, like Ant-Man coming into the fray? Like another thing that they do in this film with regards to timing is this happens over three days. Right. And they make that very well known. They put a clock on this with scott lang's house arrest yeah. mm-hmm. so they're telling you how quickly all of this happens really in a three-day time span yeah and then there's some sort of jump because they've created this quantum thing in the back of the truck yeah so i don't know i'm wondering if they didn't do the jump if they went straight to that and essentially all of this happens at the same time as infinity war and then they're messing around here as the snap happens you know what i mean yeah yeah so there's probably some work that they could have done to maybe make that make a little bit more sense but overall i think the way it was presented how it was handled the recap and all that the references to civil war to make you and let you know that when this film is happening and then as we'll talk about eventually maybe in a bit more detail the mid credit scene where we see the disintegration i think yeah it gets you up to a point where we have a reason why Scott Lang maybe didn't disintegrate or didn't die relative to the other Avengers. And we have him placed in the kind of a precarious situation that may allude to how and what they're going to use to really revert everything that Thanos did. Right. And I mean, the biggest thing is too, I mean, despite the general audience, we're all comic book readers here. Yeah. How many yeah. times we read comic books where it's like, Thor is over here doing something and Spider-Man's over here doing something. The That's other guys, true. you know what I mean? Like they're just crossing paths and I think we just have to get used to it. I mean, yeah. it's just yeah. going to happen. And as this world expands, we get more and more heroes. They're not always going to be able to, to team up because yeah. everybody true. else has their own missions. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Like if this was like, if uh, Infinity War was just like an Iron Man story, yeah. 
it'd be a little bit easier to digest, but like because they involve like literally every other character that the MCU has ever had, except right. for Ant Man, the Wasp, and Hawkeye. Yeah, I was like, okay, I was expecting a little bit more, but yeah, they'll I, be in the sequel. I, yeah, that's yeah. I, it's it's a fair criticism of the way yeah. it was set up. I agree. I just I disagree. I said that's that a Freudian slip. There, but, uh, I He's so agree. used to saying that yeah. for the DC movie reviews. Yeah. I disagree. Yeah, <laughs> right at the gate. Stop talking. <laughs> Suicide Squad is a work of art. I'm like I disagree <laughs> fully, 100. <laughs> percent All right, guys, let's let's jump into the film here. Now we're gonna break this down in quite a bit of detail. We're gonna run through some of the character developments, what we thought of the individual characters, and kind of recap and rehash some of the stuff that we've already alluded to before in the discussion so jumping to the start of this film let's expand a little bit on how this thing kicks off we go to 1987 we see jenna van dyne wasps now fully embodied by michelle pfeiffer and we see her shrink we're doing the molecule thing down below she gets kind of inserted into the quantum realm but prior to that we get a little bit of character development and building of hank pym wasp and hope's interaction relationship as she's a child you mentioned this de-aging technology holy wow do i want a <laughs> hank pym and janet van dyne film purely with de-aging yeah <laughs> i think it looks fantastic yeah. it looks pretty good I, I was blown away i saw this and i thought wow like this is yeah it's pretty cool and i like how they use this scene later on as the connective tissue to janet talking through ant-man scott lang to hank pym and hope i think it's kind of a it's a nice it's a nice way to relate back to kind of their origin story a little bit and how it melds a bit more and a bit more detail to the overall plot of this film because as we get into this like we've mentioned this isn't an ant-man film it's a wasp film it's about hank pym and hope finding janet van dyne after having some indication from 2015's ant-man that yes you can return from the quantum realm it doesn't explain any detail how you'd live there for 30 yeah. plus years but it does give you some insight that you can come back or give them some insight that you can come back and that's really what the essence of this plot is save janet van dyne and we're going to take a few detours here and there this is wasp and hank Pym's story do you guys agree with that direction i do just not the overall direction i thought this was going to maybe be like half the film not yeah. the whole film yeah. That was really my only thing, especially marketing-wise. I thought we were going to get a lot more Michelle Pfeiffer. Maybe just because I'm a Michelle Pfeiffer fan. <laughs> I wanted more Michelle Pfeiffer, but yeah. I thought we were going to get more of her in the film, not like 10 minutes yeah. of her. Apart from that, though, I do like the uh, the goal to save her, get her out. I like that um, uh, Scott Lang is the one that can kind of do it because he has some kind of connection with her. Quantum entanglement. Yeah, <laughs> I thought that was neat. You know, it's funny. The very beginning of the scene of this movie actually remind, remind me exactly of uh, Mark Webb's Amazing Spider-Man. Like, the yes. way it opened up with, like, yeah. the kid. We've got to put the kid away somewhere else. We're going to go on a mission and then they never see their parents oh, again. Yeah. It's yeah. exactly like Sony's Amazing Spider-Man 1 there. But, totally. Uh, but done better, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Although the first one I like. The first one was great. Yeah. Love that yeah. one. Yeah. Um, yeah, I totally agree. I'm with you. More Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah. Anything she's in, she could play all the characters if she wanted to. She's such a terrific actress. Um, in terms of like setting up the stuff, you know, yeah, it worked. Um, I'm not really quite sure. They didn't really do a good job like explaining. Okay, so like Scott Lang was there and now like Michelle Pfeiffer can talk through him. Like I was like, okay, yeah. how? But like they just like, okay, like that, that's the thing. Yeah. And then like just keep going. And I was like, okay, like just look past it and just keep going. Uh, the one thing, I don't know if you guys noticed from this film, uh, but maybe I'm just being a nitpicking asshole, but uh, 
you know, it's like they always like mention science words, like when they're trying to like fix something. It's like if you just reverse the quantum field, it'll like do this, and they're like, yes, that would work. Or the sizing coils are not working. Like they say that like an awful lot. Like in the this. jargon. Yeah. So the beautiful thing about that, and this is why I love Paul Rudd in this film, is he is the audience in this film. He is. It's not him driving the narrative. It's yeah. him on the sidelines being the audience for a degree of it because he calls that out yeah. numerous times. He says, do you guys just throw the word quantum? Yeah. 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 I love that. Yeah. And there's yeah. a few times when they're talking about all the jargon and all that. And he says, yeah, exactly what I was thinking. Right. Yeah. So yeah. they acknowledge the fact that, yeah, they're sciencing this up, if we can call it that, yeah. to make it sound better. But at the end of the day, none of it really matters that much. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't matter about the coils. It's just part of the film. And you know, the word quantum, like I still don't know what the quantum <laughs> realm is. I was hoping for a bit more detail and, and maybe some insight how that is going to affect Infinity War or Avengers 4. Yeah. We didn't really get that. And I still don't know what it is. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, it is the microverse, but how is this, how is this time and all that? Because... She still ages in it, so time doesn't stand still. I don't know. doesn't matter. But at the end of the day, I love that from Paul Rudd is that, yeah, we're going to call this out. Even the thing that, and it made me laugh so hard, the thing that you hate about the MCU disguises, the hat and the... <laughs> oh, and, yeah, that oh, was yeah. brilliant. Yeah. The hat and the glasses. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Paul Rudd says, it just we just look like ourselves at a baseball game. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. that killed me. I and laughed so hard at that part. <laughs> that, that almost realized their self-realization of the film, the self-awareness of the film that that to me speaks volumes to how it was written and constructed yeah it is a very sciencey film but what paul rudd's saying in that scene is it really doesn't matter a whole bunch like here's the gist of it i can talk or janet can talk through me because of quantum entanglement yeah. <laughs> that's all you really need to know that yeah. she can communicate through him and then this is how we get from point a to point b we don't need to really worry about the in-between mechanics of it all because realistically None of us are ever going to understand it no. <laughs> on a base level. No. So we just need to understand like what is the point of it? What is really kind of, I'm not going to call Janet the MacGuffin of the film, but what are the kind of the es- essential things we need to know to get from this p- point of the plot to the next? And mm-hmm. we're kind of given those right up front here, I think, in the film. Yeah, it is a bit wordy sometimes, and there is a lot of exposition in this film. But the way it was delivered, I think, is important. This Agent Wu, played by Randall Park, Really love the, the actor. He was great, yeah. Funny character. He provides a whole bunch of exposition right up front here about why Scott Lang's here, why Hank Pym and Hope are being chased, because I thought that was a bit weird at the start. But they do get into the details here. Scott Lang himself delivers some exposition. You get some from Hank Pym. So I agree in a sense that you know the jargon and the sciencing and even the exposition is quite heavy. But they do split it up. They don't rely on it to be all delivered by Scott Lang saying, hey, remember when I fought Captain America? Hey, remember when I did this? Hey, remember Quantum this? You know, they dumbed his character down a little bit because if you go back to Ant-Man, he mm-hmm. says, I've got a master's in electrical engineering. I'm a very smart guy. I can do all this computer stuff. Yeah. He doesn't do a lot of that. No. no. He's kind of plays, again, like the audience. He's kind of the guy sitting in the background where the other two of them really take the reins on the intelligent part of the plot. Yeah. <laughs> oh, for sure, for sure. Which is, it's kind of, it was, it was a bit of a step back for the character, but again, he's not the driving force behind this, and they left a lot more of that to to Hope and Pym. Which, you know, you could argue is a good thing or a bad thing, but overall, I think Scott Lang serves a purpose there, and I think it's a good purpose. Mm-hmm. But now let's, let's, let's talk a little bit about Paul Rudd himself. Now... <laughs> 
this character that we we've already kind of heaped some praise on him here, but I love how we jump into this film and how they say, Hey, here's Scott Lang. Here's Paul Rudd. Just doing this nice little montage thing, him being under house arrest. They give you that early on exposition. Here's what he's been doing in the meantime. Did you guys, did you guys like this montage? Did you like this immediate introduction back into Scott Lang? Yeah, it worked for me. Yeah. I felt like I was watching a, what's that director that he was in all his movies uh, the comedy director is like, I'm drawing a blank right now. Judd Apatow? Judd Apatow. Yeah, I felt like I was watching a Judd Apatow film or something like uh, 40 Year Old Virgin or Knocked Up or something. Because like that character would fit right into one of those films. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. You echo my thoughts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. Now, when this film really kicks off, when we get into the guts of it here, we, we jump two years into the future. And we've got Pim and Hope. They've, they've been on the run. And they, we, like I said, we get some exposition on that about them being associated with Scott Lang, be associated with the tech. Therefore, they must sign the Sokovia Accords. But because they're working on this idea or concept about getting Jan out of the Jan, I keep, do I keep doing that? <laughs> Janet out of the quantum realm. They've gone into hiding and not signed the Sokovia Accords because they need this tech to actually get Janet out of the quantum realm. Now, how they set this up with Hope and Hank Pym, and then bringing Scott Lang on board. Did you guys find that organic, or did you find it was it was a bit odd that Scott Lang, after a couple years on house arrest, just decides to phone up Pym and Hope and say, look, guys, I don't know about this, but kind of this quantum thing happened to me. I kind of had a connection to Janet. It was a bit weird. And then the plot really kicks forward there. Like, Do you find it was an organic way to bring Scott Lang into their story? Well, I thought it was kind of weird how they did it, just because of the timing of it all. I mean, has what well, it's been like two years, a year, yeah. You know, so the timing was kind of weird. I don't know if they just went a route where he just, I don't know, he that suit that he held on to, if he played with it a little bit longer and then went back to that realm, and then she got a hold of Scott, and then this whole thing happened. Maybe that would have made more sense because the timing of it all. But just to have like this two year gap, and then now he decides to call it Hank Pym, and then they all get together. It just felt weird. Yeah, it didn't work for me. It, it to me, it didn't. They didn't make the the leap early on enough that he had some connection to Janet because exactly. it's when they opened yeah. it for a little bit yeah. that she was able to sneak a message exactly. through, right? Yeah. And so that comes down to some of the exposition that we didn't get maybe early on enough about Janet's ability to communicate. Right. Yeah, we get it eventually. And I think in retrospect, yeah, fine, I get it all. But it took me a little bit longer to get there. It's like, okay, I don't exactly know. Like my assumption was maybe he was calling them all the time maybe had more communication with them. But when we get to their first interaction together, they haven't seen each other for two years. Basically right. yeah. they had some romantic involvement, him and hope they were training together. And all of a sudden he dropped everything went with captain America and then everything blew up. Right. Yeah. Which I love civil war is like become the new uh, battle of New York. Yes. Like, that's, that's true. Yeah. The landmark, right? That's the staple for everything. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Did you still buy him going to drop everything, you know, going under house arrest? He, you know, in Ant-Man one, He's trying to do right by his daughter. You know, he's no longer going to be a criminal. And then in Civil War, he drops everything. He drops hope. He drops, you know, his daughter just to join Captain America, a guy that he's never met before. Like, do you buy that, uh, that he would do that? At this stage in Scott Lang's character development, I think so. I think he wanted to be more. Like, you look, go back and look at Ant-Man. He wants to be this more altruistic person. He's trying to right the wrongs of the past. So I think if Captain America comes knocking... You know, you saw the way he reacted in Civil War. Exactly. Of course yeah. he's going to go. Right. Yeah. But when you look at it from this film's perspective, it comes back to the hero struggle. Now, we spoke a bit about 
this last week with Grab's question about, you know, what what's the hero struggle look like? Well, this is a perfect example of this because he's trying to balance doing the right thing, correcting and maybe righting some of those wrongs from his past, but also what has happened to Hank Pym and hope from him taking off. But he's also trying to balance his life because you see him numerous times going back to his house because he wants to be able to provide a life with his daughter, with Cassie Lang. So I think it's really cool how they integrated that hero struggle, even though he's not really the main focal hero in this film. And they do that by kind of making that reference to Civil War, to what he had done in the past and trying to right those wrongs. So I, I really, really like how they kind of entwined and made Civil War, at least the plot points of it, him leaving and the consequences of that really drive home the hero's journey for Scott Lang. Now, the comedic angle. Now, we, we've kind of beat this horse to death a little bit, but I got to talk a little bit here about his supporting cast in Lewis, Dave, and Kurt. They don't serve a huge purpose in the film other than some brief moments of levity, but they are responsible a bit for driving at least some of the narrative in a certain direction. Do you guys feel that we really needed these characters or could we have done without this supporting cast? Like, was this just a nice callback to Ant-Man and they kind of overstayed their welcome in this film? Or are you okay with these guys being present in an Ant-Man universe going forward? Uh, well, I'd have to say the way they were written this time around, I felt like they overstayed their welcome. Um, if they were written differently, I would have been all for it. I just felt like their punchlines weren't working for me. They just came off like bumbling fools. Whereas they did last time too, but because the movie was even more of a smaller scale back then and they're just kind of up and coming, um, then it made more sense to me. But here, I feel like we were meant to be evolved, like Pena's evolved, uh, Scott, or, yeah, Scott's evolved, but the other two are still in the same place yeah. where they were before. So yeah, I, I could have done without them for sure. Yeah, uh, to me, they kind of just were there. They'd work. Like, they're kind of his buddies, and they don't really do very much. And they provide some comedic relief. Um, the one thing is, I think we're going to see, Lu uh, I think it's Louis Michael Pena. Yeah. You know, he talks about getting a suit of his own. So maybe that's a little <laughs> bit of foreshadowing for the third one. Or maybe that's how he brings Ant-Man into back after the snap. I don't know. But uh, I, think he, I think we'll see him in a suit. I don't know who that'll be or what, but I think we'll see him suited up. Interesting. Black Ant or something. <laughs> Maybe. No, I think um, for, for me, I, I liked them. They're fine. They were, I think, necessary characters in the sense that they do provide a mechanism to humanize Scott Lang a little bit more. You know, you again, we, we talked about, you know, the, the hero's his journey here a bit, his kind of struggle. But also, this is also providing, you know, some light at the end of the tunnel for Scott Lang. This is what he's doing to better himself. You see that even reflected in his ex-wife and the husband on how much or how far they've come along to embracing him for him being more of an altruistic character, getting away from this almost con as they kind of framed him up in the original Ant-Man. Someone that, you know, is deemed to always be doing the wrong thing but maybe for the right reasons or always turning to crime. So they've taken Scott Lang from the comic books, really portrayed him in one direction in Ant-Man, and they're almost swinging him a little bit here to make him align a bit more with that maybe more Avengers-esque type of hero where he is doing the right thing, but maybe he has issues with how it's executed. So I think these guys do a lot in getting him a little bit further along in his personal life. But at the end of the day, if he had taken these guys out, I don't know if we really would have missed them. I would have maybe missed Michael Pena a little bit. Yeah. You could have had just a couple throwaway scenes with them yeah. to just kind of reference that that bigger Ant-Man universe. But overall, 
yeah, they were fine for me. I think my my real I'm not gonna say issue with the film because we got to get into to some of the villain stuff here, but as as we progress through this early part of the film we have a tendency to get introduced to a lot of characters really rapidly, a lot of new characters, which I'm okay with. I think it's done relatively well. And as Lang is abducted by Hank Pym and Hope in an effort to use him as that communication point to locate Janet, we do see them coming and kind of getting introduced to the first, I'm going to say villain in air quotes here, Mm -hmm. in the Sonny Birch character played by Walter Goggins. Now Hope is gone to get this piece of black market tech to fill in whatever it is for the kind of sciencey end, if we can call it that, or as we'll call it that, for creating this kind of quantum portal or whatever. And this interaction is, I like it and I don't like it. I don't like this character of Sonny Birch. I find he's kind of just a dumb villain. Like he literally serves, the only purpose is, and you can call it a necessary evil in a couple of in the word, is that he's there to be the bad guy and he's there to, to kind of drive the plot in certain directions when they need him to. Mm-hmm. The ghost doesn't fill that role. They needed someone to push the heroes in a certain direction at a certain point in the film and he's there to fill that role. Other than that, he's kind of just like this dumb... <laughs> like he never does anything intelligent, I don't find. And it really bothers me. But the thing that I do like about this is that the first fight scene comes out of this interaction with Sonny Birch. And it's really the wasp fight scene. And I think that's great that the first fight scene we get in this film isn't Ant-Man, it's the wasp. Again, really pointing towards this idea that this is a wasp film. Now, with my criticism of Sonny Birch, you guys are nodding your heads here. <laughs> like, are you kind of aligned with that one? Like, Do you find that he was necessary? Or do you find that he was kind of just there to serve a purpose? Um, so, yeah, I think he's only there, and the only reason why he was there is because when there's a car chase scene, you can't have the FBI chasing them because they blow up the cars and like a bunch of people in those cars <laughs> would get killed. So as the audience, you don't want the audience seeing the FBI getting killed, so you show these like bumbling uh, Goombas that are trying to like chase them down. Cannon fodder almost. Yeah, exactly. They're the Shatari of the Ant-Man <laughs> and the Wasp. Um, but... Yeah, he was just like, he was fine for me. I didn't really mind him too much because at least he was somewhat of a villain as opposed to the other two. I like he's like a villain in air quotes. But yeah, we got like an amazing action scene from this yeah. where they're in the kitchen and, you know, Wasp is, uh, you know, the change sizing from a Wasp. Well, I guess she's a Wasp. Is yeah. she like an yeah. actual Wasp or? Guess so. Quibble yeah, size. okay, we'll yeah. say, we'll say, yeah. And then she goes to normal size and she's like changing object sizes. I thought that was great, you know, very. Um, imaginative very creative fight scene and you know sometimes the fight scenes can get a little bit boring but this one was fantastic this was one of the best fight scenes i've seen in a while yeah start with the action scene i think this was my favorite fight scene throughout the whole film i loved i could just watch wasp do that the whole time i Mm -hmm. actually wish scott never even got involved they just gave it to her i know we've seen it over and over again in the trailer but her running on that knife blade was like to me something very similar like seeing um neo dodge bullets for oh the first time. yeah like, i thought that was really cool how yeah. they did that fight in the kitchen but going back to sunny um 
I'm probably reaching here because I've been reaching since homecoming. You know, I've always been hoping the person that bought the Baxter building, or not the Baxter building, the Stark Tower was Osborne. And I was hoping Sonny is working for Osborne. No. Like, I'm reaching, but I really hope that's some kind of connection. If that's the case, then I like Sonny. But if, <laughs> if that's not the case, then Sonny's kind of a throwaway. He is like the real villain of the whole film, though, as like lame as he is, because the villain that we do have isn't actually like a villain. No. Like, she's actually no. like an okay person that mm-hmm. does some questionable things. Pretty much like Winter Soldier, like you mentioned. Yeah. yeah. But I'd say Sonny is the all around like bad guy in this film. Yeah. Yeah. So. It, it's weird because I he's a bad guy, but he's really just trying to. Yeah. Like he's no purpose. His business. Like he's yeah. trying just to steal the tech to yeah. sell it or do whatever with it, right? He has no bigger plan other than making money. Yeah. Like yeah. he doesn't have a this idea. Oh, I want to be you know the king of PIM technology or whatever. Like, but isn't that almost more realistic though in a sense? Like just to make money, I yeah, guess. I guess. Yeah, yeah. I guess you don't. Yeah, I guess you don't want the mustache twirling. I want power <laughs> for the sake of power. Yeah. I just think, and maybe it's just the style of villain that I'm not used to. He just felt like an idiot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like he yeah. was kind of like this bumbling guy that was sending, like you said, goons or goombas or whatever. <laughs> like let's just go. Like they're literally cannon fodder. Yeah, yeah. And I like I like I called him a necessary evil in both sense of the world. Is word is that he was there because he had to be there and yep. he was also there because the film needed some sort of villain focal point mm-hmm. we get a little bit of that in the ghost but the ghost doesn't really drive much of the plot in the sense or in the same way that you usually get with a villain yeah you need someone to butt heads with you need someone to have these action sequences with and like, it can't be the fbi right yeah they're really put aside they're, they're it's not like a hydra or something or maybe it is like a hydra in the sense that they're the same type of guys. It's okay to watch them get beat up. You don't feel sorry for them. Mm-hmm. But if they're your common FBI guys that, you know, hope is beating the crap out of, <laughs> yeah. you start to question things, right? <laughs> oh, totally, totally. Can we talk about, like, the different villain plots and how they could have been resolved if they just communicated? Like, this should be a perfect example in, like, your high school guidance counselor telling you guys that communication is key. Because <laughs> you have the Walter Goggins character, Sonny, who wants to sell this technology. You have Ghost, who wants to be cured. And then you have um, uh, Hank Pym and Hope who want to bring Janet back to the quantum realm. So they let them bring Janet back to the quantum realm. Then they can cure Ghost. And then from there, they can sell the leftover technology and make money. They can't sell it to him. Hank Pym has spent his whole life (laughs) trying to keep the technology around. You know, they can just—they don't don't have to sell everything, but they can sell some stuff. You know, broken ass shit. (laughs) (laughs) Just communicate out there. There should be a message. Communication is key. Like they should put this in couples counseling therapies. I feel like there was another movie where communication. We're talking about solo. And maybe Batman. If they just said, if they just said, maybe if Walter Goggins' (laughs) character just said the name of his mom. Then that oh, yeah. would have worked. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, <laughs> as we, we see Moffs kick some serious ass in this first scene here, this first fight sequence, let's also talk about Hope Van Dyne as a character yeah. overall in the film. You know, numerous times we said it's her film for sure. What did you think of Evangeline Lilly in this role? Like, did, did she capture you the same way we're anticipating? Like, did you like the character of the Wasp? Did you like her in and out of the suit? Oh, yeah, she killed it. Like She's like, my fan favorite coming out of the first film, and I just wanted more of her, and I'm glad they gave us more of her. I thought she was so good. Her confidence in that character of how she pulls it off is fantastic. Again, going back to the fact that this is like the first female Marvel character ever created, and now she really has her 
not standalone film, but it is pretty much her own film. Yeah. You know, so shout out to that. I, th- I think she was great. Yeah. And, and she chopped off that hair. That hair was a little silly from the last film. <laughs> she grew it out. A little Betty Brant going on yeah. here. But yeah, yeah, she grew it out now, that long hair. So that's cool. Yeah. What do you guys think of the costume? I think it looked really great. Yeah. It looked a lot better on than, remember the first time they showed us yeah. the costume was kind yeah. of questionable, looked but weird. actually, yeah, put on, it looks good. Yeah, I think it looks better than actually Ant-Man's costume in terms of like, just like superpower. Like if I saw someone dressed up as Ant-Man and I saw someone dressed up as the Wasp, I'd be more scared of the Wasp than I would be of Ant-Man. Is Ant-Man's the same costume as Civil War or is it No, the mask looked different. So this one's like the third costume as opposed to the first one, then Civil War, then we have... Yeah, I don't know film. where the Civil War one came from because this one, as you remember through the film, it's like this is something that's like half done. Yeah. And he mm-hmm. keeps getting... So it's a it's an upgraded suit and then he goes back to the original Ant-Man suit. I don't know where the Civil War suit went. <laughs> right. So we kind of got like the extremist thing. Yeah. Where he's like been tinkering with the costume. Exactly. It doesn't work. It's not yeah. finished. Yeah. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. And I agree with you guys. Evangeline Lilly in this role is awesome. Like everything about her is on point from when she's Hope Van Dyne. She has that intellectual end like nailed down into the fight sequences. Every time she's fighting, I want more of this. Whether yeah. it's the car chase scene in and out of the car here with assaults and all, like everything is just brilliant. I love the dynamic of her having the blasters and yeah. the flight as well. Mm-hmm. That's a cool dynamic. That's something that we haven't seen before in this universe, at least as far as we've seen flight and all that, but yeah. in this sort of, I keep using the word dynamic here, but very dynamic sense. Yeah. And I loved everything. I wanted to see more of this character. Every time she's on screen, I'm like, I want more of this. I went out and bought the action figure. It's sitting yes. up on the MCU shelf yes. right nice, now. Nice, nice. Because I love this character so much. So I'm looking forward to, and I'm a little disappointed we're not going to see her more heavily integrated into Infinity War because of what we see at the end credit scene here. Mm-hmm. But yeah, overall, Hope Van Dyne absolutely kills it. And this movie, it should have been Wasp in the Ant-Man. Like, it really should have been. <laughs> yeah. They should have just called it Wasp. Yes, well, that's... That went hard to market, though, yeah, too. Yeah, very hard to market. coming off this, like, it's a sequel, but it's not, yeah, I don't yeah. know. Yeah, it's tough. But there's a lot of really great Ant-Man stuff in here. Don't don't get us wrong here, yeah. but she really did shine in this mm-hmm. film, and that's kind of the expectation we came into this. Now, we talked about the ghost here. Now, this character is later on revealed to be Ava, and I believe her last name is Star, or Ava Foster, maybe you can call her that, as Bill Foster kind of takes her under her wing. But this character, I think, visually really cool motivations could have been worked on a little bit. I think as as a character that kind of equally represented the Pym stuff as well as the quantum, it was kind of a nice melding of that. So it linked her up with the overall story, with what they were trying to do. So it gave her some stakes in that as far as what Hank Pym and Hope were trying to do. And we got some cool fight sequences with her. I love watching her jump, the the graphics of her shaking around and all mm-hmm. that. I also thought was really cool. But overall villain take, you know, it's it's kind of there. I, I didn't feel that there was a superior villain in this film. To be honest with you, they're probably better than Yellow Jacket, oh, I yeah. think, in, in overall combined. But the villains here in this film, all right for me. You know, what, what are you guys thinking about the villains here? Uh, we're including Bill Fo- Ben Foster. Bill well. Foster. Yeah. yeah, we can throw him in the mix here, too. Yeah. I said Ben, didn't I? <laughs> He's a good actor. Uh, Bill Foster. Yeah, so I um, you know, I actually liked what they did here. I really do like what Marvel's been doing with the turn since, I guess you could say... Spidey since Homecoming yeah. and then uh, Killmonger 
and Thanos, obviously, and even this character, because you can kind of get behind them in a sense like they they have a purpose. Bill Foster, I mean? yes. Bill Foster, yeah. yes. And then even the girl herself, she's yeah. um, Ava, you said. Yeah. And she, she wants to live. She wants to stop phasing in now and she's running out of time. Mm-hmm. So at least there's like a motive for her to go out there and get it. And I mean, she's dying. So she's going to do whatever it takes to, to stop that. So that works for me. I like Bill Foster's turn because we see that he's not necessarily a, a bad guy. Once yes. she decides to go after the kid, he's like, no, like I'm pulling out. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. when you draw the line. And I thought that was really great for him to do. The other thing I like too is that they established that because I said, I don't like Hank Pym in this film. And you can see why a lot of other people don't like Hank yeah. Pym in yeah. this film. And so it kind of established the motives of these villains that we've had. From her father to Bill Foster himself. And even the Starks, I guess you could say. Because those guys don't get along either. No. So clearly uh, Hank Pym has some issues going on <laughs> over there. But um, overall, I do like what they did there. I like that Bill Foster eventually turned yeah. Ava around too. And uh, all around, it, it worked for me. Not the best villain, but definitely a step above uh, Yellow Jacket. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, definitely. yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, coming off Killmonger and Thanos, which were, I, in my opinion, Marvel's two best villains, yep. I think, you know, this one was one of their worst. Like, she looked cool, the costume was cool, and as you said, the phasing technology was really cool, and they did some cool stuff where, like, she had her fist through um, Hank Pym's neck at yeah. the one scene. I was like, okay, that's badass. It's like Kitty Pride stuff. Yeah, yeah, but then, like, she kind of just, like, shows up, and then she disappears for a while, and then she goes into, like, this regeneration chamber or whatever it is. And then she, like, comes back. And, you know, I buy the motivation. She wants to live. That makes sense. But it just wasn't enough for me. Like, she she needed to be on screen more, I feel, to be, like, a, like a good villain. She was just kind of there, as you say. You know, someone to, like, turn. I could easily see her being in um, the trilogy, the third one, being, like, a good guy. Yes. Being, the, you know, the movie would be Ant-Man, the Wasp, and Ghost. Yeah, that's probably what the third one's going to be called. And, and Ben Foster. <laughs> Bill. And Bill, yeah, sorry. He's a great actor. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, like, um, Bill Foster, you know, uh, Mor- Morpheus, Perry White. He's, he's yeah. Such, yeah, he's he's a good actor. <laughs> Lawrence Fishburne. Um, love the guy. I want to see him in Man of Steel 2, so I don't, you know, I want his character to kind of bite the dust so he has more time for that. <laughs> <laughs> now, with with Bill Foster, I agree with you guys. I, I saw that turn come from a mile away. Like, I think I, t- I talked about it last week. As yeah, I thought he was going to be a villain, but not a villain. Yeah. It seemed very on the nose, but it was executed well. I think, it, although it didn't surprise me, it made perfect sense is that, you know, when you go back to her backstory, she has the father and the mother that are performing this experiment. She gets kind of cross or caught in the crossfire of this big explosion. Bill sees what's going on in the background at S.H.I.E.L.D., how she's been turned into, like like I said, the, the winter soldier for S.H.I.E.L.D. almost, mm-hmm. which is cool. I want to see more of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That looks pretty that badass. Side of S.H.I.E.L.D. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. That would be awesome. Yeah. And like kind of the history of all that, because that's more recent history, because she's not that old. Right. Like, yeah. She's like maybe 30 or something yeah. like that. So it'd be cool to go back and revisit some of that. But yeah, I think keeping him walking that line to as I said at the top, like they spent a bit of time trying to humanize him and make you not completely feel like he's being a villain. Like he's not like to me, it would have been wrong if they had have at the end, he had to push her aside and took the quantum power or something for himself. Right. Like they didn't go down that path. And Mm -hmm. yeah, calling out that when she says, I'm going after the kid, that was it. Like he was done. And I think that that played really well because you know, being a wasp film, as we've called it, if you bring Cassie into this, 
you now then switch gears to it being a Scott Lang film. Mm-hmm. If you wanted to go that way, fine. If you wanted the villain to to go down that path and really switch this into a Scott Lang film, you have to bring his family into it. Yeah. And they do start to go down that path, but then they kind of switch back, which I thought was an interesting twist. That's the easy way to go. Yeah. Right? And they didn't take that path. So I appreciate the writing there and the direction that they took because – I was I was fully expecting when you look at how Scott Lang interacts with Cassie numerous times, you know, she's talking about getting someone to watch your back. I want you to be Ant-Man. You know, she had there's this vibe building that okay, she's going to factor into this plot later on because we've seen this before. We've seen kind of with heroes, again coming back to kind of one of the issues with heroes is that the people or your most vulnerable if you have family, if you have friends. So they really could have brought that into this. And I'm kind of happy they stayed away from oh, yeah. it and kind of just played this a little differently, a little less predictable in the sense that we didn't have to have the wife, the boyfriend, and his daughter Cassie tied up at the end. No, they went straight for Hope and Hank, yep. mm-hmm. which I think is a really cool direction. Yeah. So as as the overall film progresses here, we see the lab. It becomes more or less the MacGuffin. It becomes the Infinity Stone, if you will, <laughs> of this film. It gets passed around quite a few times. Walter Goggins has it for a little bit. Then the ghost has it. Then Hank and Hope get it back. And this is when we get, I think, one of the great Paul Rudd scenes is once we have we go through the reveal of Bill Foster and Ava and all this. We get that backstory in the woods a little bit. They run off with the lab again, spring it up, start working on kind of this, this quantum entanglement, this quantum connection to Janet. And we have a really fantastic scene of Paul Rudd channeling, or I should really say Janet Van Dyne channeling through Paul Rudd and discussing with Hank Pym and Hope. I had a great time in this scene and the way that Paul Rudd played it, ton of fun. It it was a nice, it was a bit of a kind of calmer moment in the film and it provided a bit more exposition. It got you from really A to B, how we're going to get to Jan, Jan, Janet. And they put a timeline on everything. You have a couple of hours or we're never going to be able to see you for the next couple of centuries. (laughs) So they really narrow things down here. Did you have as much fun with this Paul Rudd stuff as I did, or did you kind of find it kind of weird? I thought it was hilarious. Yeah. No, I <laughs> okay, was good. Fun. I yeah. want to make sure you guys were looking yeah. at me. <laughs> yeah, no, this part was great. Paul Rudd, man, uh, you know, hats off to that guy for pulling that off. You know, his mannerisms were, were great. I thought it was just going to be like a small dose, but he just kept rolling with it. Yeah. yeah. And I just, obviously, I wanted the scene to stop because it got a little weird. Yeah. Especially <laughs> between him and the wasp, but I, I thought it was great. So, oh, yeah. Like, yeah. I was expecting to see Otome Brown make an appearance, and, you know, maybe they'd have the part. Uh, pottery class unchained melody would be playing you know he would be doing the pottery behind michael douglas all that play yeah Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) no i thought it was a great scene it definitely reminded me of ghosts though yeah i I was like okay like this is like a like a throwback to ghosts but i I love i love that movie i love that scene too though yeah it was really good and this is where we get a bit of a pivot point for Scott Lang's character and we see a bit more development from his side because he has to make a decision here. You know, this this hero's decision. What does he do? Does he choose Hank Pym and the Wasp and Janet or does he choose his life with his daughter? And he basically throws his hands up and says, guys, I got to go because we've been on the clock here throughout this whole film with Agent Wu and him coming back and busting in and doing the running around and all this and this big ant and all that you know great stuff a lot of fun stuff we don't need to go into any detail there but i like that they do let scott go 
or he kind of chooses to go. So we get a little bit more development on that side and we really open up to having this whole end sequence kind of come to a head with Scott Lang making the choice after talking to his daughter to actually go back and help out Hank and Hope in the same way that they helped him in Ant-Man. It was a nice callback after they're arrested, after the FBI is, is kind of tipped off to their actual location by Walter Goggins, and then Ava gets the case, the MacGuffin's all over the place again. But overall, we get this really nice callback to Ant-Man with the suit in jail, with Hank Pym getting out, and then we kind of have this overall reconciliation as we lead into basically this final battle sequence as they're chasing around the laboratory. And this leads us to this car chase. Now, we saw quite a bit of this in the trailers with mm -hmm. the Pez dispenser, Giant Man reveal. So I think for me, this scene didn't hit maybe as hard as it could have because I felt like I'd seen a lot of it. That's why, and I agree with you, Troy, going back to that, that more hand-to-hand -hand combat stuff with both Wasp at the start of that fight with Ghost or with the Walzer Goggins crew or Sonny Birch crew, I should say, and then Ant-Man joining in there. I had a lot more fun with that one. This chase scene, yeah, it was a lot of fun. And I almost liked the parts with Evangeline Lilly's Hope and Michael Pena's Lewis more so than I did with some of the stuff that I already thought I'd seen or I felt I'd seen. So for me, trailers overshowed this scene a little bit but i still had an absolute blast watching it it was it was sequenced well it was a great action piece it kind of built towards this big reveal of the supersized giant man and all that yeah. and kind of got us towards the end how are you guys feeling about this car chase sequence and overall how this kind of evolves from the woods into and kind of getting towards our, our peak or our climax of the film here i liked it as you said the trailer does show an awful lot you know the pez dispenser giant man uh, giant man looks great in this you know yeah, a lot of times you, you get like that size differential it can kind of look out of whack or not look very good this one there's no problems like that at all uh, the car chase scene was a lot of fun i really enjoyed this scene as i said the action was the best part of this movie for me the fight scenes and all that stuff the special effects were phenomenal yes. in this film you know this this, this scene really shows it all lot oh, of that oh off. yeah yeah like that was to me that was like the highlight of the film so i really enjoyed that scene and you know i thought they did a good job and I thought Paul Red was great as a giant man when he's like laughing and he's like, Oh, there you are, little guy. And yeah. he's like going to the boat and stuff. I thought that was great. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. I, I like the scene a lot. I, I thought the effects looked great. The scale of uh, Paul Red's giant man was, was awesome. I just felt like it was a pretty long action sequence for me. It kind of wore thin, especially after seeing so much of it in the trailer as is. So I was kind of already done with the scene as I already got into the scene, yeah. if that makes any sense. But all around, it, it was great. Like like Sanjay mentioned, the action scenes, the fight sequences are the, are the highlights for, for me in this yeah. film. Mm -hmm. yeah. Did you find that the reveal of Giant Man would have been more impactful if we hadn't already seen him in Civil War? Oh, for sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and I think that's one of the complaints from, from Peyton Reed is that he didn't get to reveal giant man uh, in an ant-man film like that yeah. was kind of taken away from i think the impact of it in civil war is important oh yeah oh, but when sure. you see it here it's yeah he is humongous in this one even bigger than we saw him in civil war yeah. mm -hmm. but to me it's just not as impactful it's still a lot of fun they do some cool stuff with him falling in the water and all That's this cool in the boat and rising up and passing like they they hit those beats and i think it, it's well executed but the impact of it would have been a lot more if this is the first time we're seeing Giant Man. I think it would have been really cool to see that Giant Man riding that truck oh, down yeah. the road. And all. That was, that was like yeah. kind of on a skateboard or whatever. Yeah, it, it was it was fun, but 
just not as impactful. And I think the director kind of aligned with that is that he had wish he had the ability to yeah. kind of reveal that in his own film in an Ant-Man film. I think everybody wishes they could do an airport sequence. Yeah. Like yeah. To this day is one of the best sequences out there. Yeah. You remind me of a scene that was very, in my opinion, very Deadpool-esque is when he turns into the kid or, you know, like the sizing thing and he's oh, kind of yeah. like a short yes. uh, adult and he's going to the school trying to find the original costume. Yeah. I was like, that would have played perfectly in a Deadpool film. To yeah. me, like that I was like, okay, this is like a Deadpool scene with like the baby legs yeah. from the second one. <laughs> that was quite funny. It's, and it's kind of a cool plot point because this is, as they're trying to find the lab at the end here, they call back to the original Ant-Man suit in a similar fashion that Winter Soldier did call back to the original Captain America suit. Is that, mm-hmm. yeah, we have to suit up back in the original because this is the only way we can connect and find the lab. And I, I like when we get the big callbacks to the original films. You know, you can, I can't really tell the difference visually yeah. between the suits. They're not as distinguished as, say, the original Cap suit and the Winter Soldier suit and all this. But I, I think it was kind of a cool callback that, yeah, we had this tiny suit on hold. And it was something that he had held out from Hank Pym and all that. Right. It, it was kind of a, a nice callback, I think, to the original Ant-Man in that original suit. And it, it does factor into them finding the lab eventually here at the end. And this is really when we get into some of the more strange ends of this film. <laughs> the quantum ends, if you will. As Hank Pym kind of suits up here, which I thought was pretty cool, yeah. to go and take a deep dive into the quantum realm. Now let's talk about the quantum realm a little bit here. I'm I'm still left with a bit of a question mark. It, visually fantastic. I really liked what they'd done here. But I I still don't understand how she survived <laughs> for 30 plus years or 30 years or so in the quantum realm, but still aged. And I I think that, like we said at the top, that you're expected to just make those leaps. Mm-hmm. This is visually stunning. This is a comic book film. So try not to dig too deep into the science of it all because it's not going to make a lot of sense. But do you think that the introduction of the quantum realm in this state, getting a bit more into the details and finally getting the reveal of Janet Van Dyne, this MacGuffin, if you will, that we've been chasing for this whole film, do you think that that built to a a proper climax? Did you guys enjoy that part of the film, getting and finally seeing Janet and seeing the quantum realm from the perspective of Hank Pym and not Hope and not Scott Lang? Like, did that? Because that kind of shocked me a little bit that it was Hank that actually got into that thing and took off. It makes sense, of course, but I was expecting more of Ant Man and the Wasp to kind of go in there and do that. They're left to kind of distract the ghost and, and Sonny Birch's crew as they're performing all this so that they're not trying to really shut them down right right yeah no um i i kind of like that they actually put um hank pym yeah in there. i mean the, the original ant-man i guess to go in there um i wish we got more of this quantum realm though like yeah. even if the movie started off with with like her being in the quantum realm we don't even yeah. know what's going on and we just see even her. just with the hood up exactly mm-hmm. i love that that like that um mad max kind of look that she has going oh, on yeah you know? and i wish we got like like just like three minutes of the film opening up with her just showing how she survives and how she lives mm-hmm. day to day and then we get whatever after 
just to get more of that quantum realm because I feel like it's such a big importance in maybe even the MCU. We yeah. just don't know. But I do like that Hank Pym went in there. It's it's kind of reminds me of actually the comic you and I just read of Iron Man. You know, Iron Man shrinks down and yes. Ping Fang Foom. Kind of a little yes. reminiscence of that going on there. But um, all around, I thought it was, it was cool. It was all right. I want just more of that yes, world. Yes, I know? agree. Yeah, they don't really like do a good job explaining like what it is or like what you can do in there. I mean, she survives for 30 years. But like they said, you know, be careful because once you go there, you might be driven, you know, you know, might go mad. And, you know, they're talking to Hope and they're like, oh, you know, your mother may not come out the same person that she was when she went in. But she was like totally fine. You know, like, like uh, even well, as far as we know, he, that's true. Well, that's why I was wondering because she came out being like, I am a little different. Like she said yeah. something where it's like, I'm not. Well, she came out because she says I'm different, but then she touches her head. So she has like abilities. The abilities yeah. 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 So like, I don't know, like maybe is that going to factor into the X-Men or Fantastic Four coming into the MCU? You know, you Fantastic Four, instead of going to the negative zone, went into the quantum realm. Maybe they get powers that way. I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, like her power set what is it she just has like uh sparkly hands that can like fix ghosts or something like they don't really like say what jubilee. she can do well, yeah yeah, yeah. Well, it's like... she's the best jubilee on film <laughs> <laughs> she's i guess this quantum power you can call it that we may see some of this in in captain marvel as well right and i think you know i know we all want that explanation because that's just what we who we are what we want right we want to understand the details and how it affects other films how it affects this universe but as much as i wanted that and as much as i would have liked to have seen that in the film i think it's good that it was left purposely ambiguous i think that they don't want to put boundaries around what this is until they're done with whatever captain marvel is going to be and whatever right. avengers 4 is going to be mm-hmm. you know we already we talked about at the top about you know there was a little bit of uncertainty around the timeline here you don't want to set your your main power set up or whatever you're going to use to leverage Avengers 4 or this or whatever technology or even a way to get you towards an end game for Avengers 4. You don't want to set too much of that up in this film. You want to leave that for explanation in Captain Marvel and Avengers 4. So her power set even purposely ambiguous for Ant-Man and the Wasp 2 or or 3 or whatever it's going to be called Wasp mm-hmm. 3. So, yeah, I agree that we probably could have had more of it and we wanted more of it but the decision to to leave it ambiguous i think is the right decision for now and because you know as as we wrap this up and as the film wraps up itself we kind of come to a very nice ending here you know sonny birch is arrested his goons are taken away (laughs) we have this explanation or realization by ava that she's done a lot of wrong things but with the presence of wasp and maybe their help they can get to kind of a point where she can be better and like you said sanjay i think we're going to see her probably down the line because lang refers to her as our new friend the ghost as Mm -hmm. he jumps into the quantum realm but i think overall you know we we get kind of a a nice ending to the film and the establishment of a bigger ant-man of the wasp universe with the potential for bill foster ghost hank pym and janet van dyne as well as hope kicking ass so i think at the end of this film you know we're left with an ant-man universe of sorts i think overall setting out to accomplish this was well executed peyton reed did everything he needed to to give us a universe a kind of more of an isolated if we can call it that 
or a universe that can stand on its own and not rely too heavily on the MCU. Mm-hmm. So I think we get all of that. But as as we get to the end of this film, guys, like how are you feeling about it? Like is it does it get to the point where you're expecting or where you wanted to go, where you left wanting more, or do you feel like this is an appropriate conclusion to this film that is eventually leading into something much bigger in a few, or I guess a year or so? At this point, not getting into post credit scenes. Yes. At this point, I'm kind of like, oh, this feels phase two ish. Yeah, that's exactly what I was gonna say. Yeah, yeah like if, an early phase two. An early phase two. Yeah, it feels kind of around there. It's it's the second movie in, and I still don't know what the hell the quantum realm is. Which yeah. Is, you know, a little whatever. Um, I still didn't laugh as much as I wanted to in this film at this point. Well, I guess at this point, I'm not gonna laugh anymore. <laughs> and um, but overall, I was just like, I I did dig this story. I did yeah. like the characters. Most of the characters, I, I, I should say. Um, so overall, I was just like, yeah, this. if I wasn't a big MCU person, I probably would have waited until this came out on Netflix, for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah, yeah, you know, I'm very similar uh, sentiments as what you said, Troy. Uh, you know, very small scale. Very, you know, very much small scale. Maybe this wasn't the right film to place right after Infinity War. Captain Marvel seems like that's going to be like this giant intergalactic kind of like Green Lantern-esque movie. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that would have been a better job, you know, following up because we went from like the highest of the highs to literally the lowest, you know, the smallest of the smalls. So coming out after it, you know, not saying it's a bad film because it's not a bad film. It's just not a terrific film, you know. And a lot of times, like you said, the villains are kind of just there. You know, they're not really menacing. They don't, like, try to pick fights really that much. You know, they're just kind of there and they go away rather quickly. Rather, you know. So, um, it's just, like, a nice film. I, You know, it's a nice film. That's how I'll say it. <laughs> Is it fun? Is it a fun film? It's a fun, nice film. Oh, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> I'll throw this on the table for you when you're talking about the villains. Yeah, I, I criticize them as just being there. Mm-hmm. But this film, I think... Interestingly enough, you don't need a villain other than to drive the plot in certain directions. The whole point of the film wasn't to prevent someone from getting something. Like, yeah, maybe Sonny Birch a little. But the whole point of the film was to get Janet back from the quantum realm. Yeah. And to progress some of these characters and reintroduce Scott Lang to being Ant-Man. And I think this film does exactly that. Well, hitting a lot of the, the the great superhero beats, well, expanding this universe of Ant Man, and giving us a direction for a franchise to go forward. It was fun for me. I had a I laughed a lot. My wife really enjoyed it, and she hadn't seen Ant Man, so she had a lot of fun in this film. So I think at this point in the film, I'm pretty happy with what I've seen. Okay, yeah. it comes to a nice conclusion. Yeah, there's some issues here and there. But overall, yeah, this ends, like I said last week, what they need to do, they need to propel Wasp to a top-tier character in the MCU. Mm -hmm. They need to build this universe for one of the pillars that's going to be coming out of the back end of Avengers 4. I think they do that. I need to have fun sitting in the theater. I always expected this film to be a lot smaller than the last two or last three, even last four films that we've got. When you're comparing from Spider-Man to Ragnarok, Infinity War, and Black Panther, and to me, it landed there. Yeah, it didn't escalate to something big. I don't think it needed to. I think it did exactly what this film had to do for this character and for this franchise. Now, last thing we need to talk about here is this mid credit scene before we give our recommendation. Yeah. So 
as we expected, the first one here relates us or gets us right up to Infinity War. We have Scott Lang entering the quantum realm to get some quantum juice for, for Ghost here. And as he's in there, coincidentally, we see the disintegration or the results of the snap from Thanos and Hank, Janet, and Hope all disintegrating. This is what we wanted, guys. Were you happy with it? Oh, yeah. I think yeah. we all predicted this. Yeah. 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 yeah, this was an easy prediction yeah. for post-credit sequence. Oh, yeah. We needed to get up to Infinity War, match that timeline. We need to understand, and we know that, that Ant-Man is in Avengers 4. We know yeah. from set mm-hmm. photos. We know from casting and all that. So he's going to be there. We needed to get there and not in the bulk of the film. We needed to take that leap. I agree, and we discussed this kind of already with, yeah, maybe they could have done a slightly better job as to why Ant-Man and the Wasp and then that crew weren't present in Infinity War, but I think headcanon-wise, you could probably get around that. Oh, yeah. Um, I do, Did you guys pick up, like, uh, Janet's, like, don't go into any time loops or any time warps? Oh, yes, she did yeah, say that. So, you know, maybe that has oh. something to do with Infinity War Part 2. Wow, good pull. Yeah. Because yeah. she said there's a certain part of... Wow, this just got me thinking. <laughs> <laughs> there's a cer- yeah, there's, she said there's a certain area, they look cute or whatever, blow it, don't go yeah. near there, you end up in time warps and all that. Yeah. I wonder. Oh, okay, well, that's a huge thing then. Yeah. 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 How do you guys think he's going to get out? Um, Maybe... Uh, Bill Foster helps him or Iron Man helps him Tony Stark I don't know how they know he's there That that's yeah. going to be yeah. the big one because they're going to have to spend a little bit of time in Avengers 4 or maybe Captain Marvel I don't know pulling him out of there mm-hmm. yeah because I, I, my money would say Doctor Strange but he's not there anymore yeah oh, like, that's yeah. the only guy I can think of that could actually get to that realm well, yeah. Co- yeah but without Doc Strange then Captain Marvel may be your answer then right the quantum realm so yeah well because she's cosmic though space wise yeah right? but the quantum bands I believe she wears. Oh. Or is that uh, what's his name? That may be Quasar. Yeah, I think Quasar. The Where's the quantum bands? Yeah. yeah. Anyway, yeah. so something to think about here. Something to postulate yeah. as we go forward in this universe is how does Scotland get out of there, and right. how does the quantum realm? How is it going to factor into Avengers Four? Because I think we can all agree that it's going to, yeah, in oh, some way, sure. shape, or form. Do you think he'll be like changed when he comes out, or you think he'll be like just fine? I think he'll be just fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Same Paul Rudd. Yeah. yeah. yeah same Paul Rudd. Now. <laughs> Like we always end these reviews off, we got we got to give our recommendation. Oh, now, we didn't talk about the most important post credit scene. Oh yeah, I kind of ignore that because I showed that in the trailers. But <laughs> yeah. it, it, again, it goes to the state of emergency that the world is in, and we've got an ant playing the drums. Oh uh, yeah, on drums. Now, if you guys listen to the podcast <laughs> regularly, you'll know that Sanjay asked a very very key question last week about did the snap only affect humans or did it affect plants animals whatever it doesn't appear to affect insects no no so and not even giant sized insects yeah. like some sort of intellect as well so there is your answer on that one sanjay there they were go. listening <laughs> thank you kevin feige yeah, and peyton reed you guys yeah. did you guys did good there now okay let's get into our recommendation let's let's as i always like to ask do you boys recommend Ant-Man and the Wasp? Gonna kick it to you, Troy. Um, not immediately. Whoa. Not immediately. It's it's a good film, but you know, after talking about this, if you're in it for the lore and like Infinity War, 
kind of right you don't necessarily <laughs> need to see this film i mean it doesn't really like i said explain much of the quantum realm and ant-man's not even in infinity war so either way when we get into infinity war part two or avengers four they're gonna have to do some explaining anyway so they'll mm-hmm. catch up the general audience and the fanboys out there anyways so i don't really feel like this is a must-see film but at the same time if you're not someone that's into the whole superhero films and you want something kind of different and something funny then yeah by all means check this out me personally i'm gonna recommend to kind of maybe just wait till it comes on netflix i'm not gonna say don't see it but just just wait give it some time all right all right yeah um yeah i would say watch it in imax because i saw it in imax and you know the action scenes as i said were the best part of the film so if you are gonna watch it definitely check it out in theaters it's uh, in your fantasy draft too absolutely so you, so you gotta check it in theaters you know i don't get any of those home <laughs> box office numbers so help you here, <laughs> thank you i need all the help i can get can I get like 50 mil from Black Panther or something? <laughs> Still won't get you. Anyway. Um, I would say, you know, if you're an Ant-Man fan, you're a Wasp fan, definitely check it out. If you're an MCU fan, yeah, still check it out. Because, you know, there could be some crossover with uh, Avengers Part 2. Not too much with the rest of the MCU universe. Uh, if you're just a superhero fan, yeah, check it out. I mean, watch all the movies and give your own opinion. So, yeah, I'll say check it out. Interesting. I did not think that we're going to be this on the fence because I'm kind of on the opposite end of this. I really enjoyed this film. I think this is a must-see in theaters. And if you're any kind of MCU fan, you have to check this film out. I think it it does... And it takes the right moves to tie you into the MCU. Like I said before, it really builds out this universe. It gives us a lot of great new character interaction. It really propels hope and then the wasp to the forefront of this franchise and maybe of this universe going forward. Who knows? I think she's a character that could carry a film easily by herself. Mm -hmm. And she kind of did in this one, you know, even the criticisms that we laid on, on Hank Pym and Michael Douglas being this kind of gruffy old grump. I kind of wanted to see more of them. I kind of like the character. I want to see more of Janet. So coming out of the theater, my overall thoughts were I had a blast. I liked how they integrated everything. I liked the story for the most part. Yeah. The villains, the, kind of falls maybe a bit parallel to our criticisms towards the mcu and their villains but this this is a really good film a really fun film and a worthwhile film to go see and pay and hang out for a couple hours consume that marvel universe and get ready for what's coming next so to me this is a for sure recommend and for sure see in theaters would you uh, if you guys have to give it a score at a 10 what would you give it Ooh. I would give it probably like a six, I'd say a six out of ten. Yeah, I'm right about there, about six, yeah. maybe six point five, just because the wasp really yeah. did it for me for this film. Numbers are a hard thing because if I give this what I want to give it in a seven, that means that there's several films at like ten plus. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's not the best MCU film, but I said on Twitter as soon as I came out, I said fun, fantastic, engaging film. Marvel's three for three this year, and I stand by that after this review. Yeah, we laid some criticism at this thing, but that's what we do. We got to break these things down in a bit of detail and give our, our fair opinion on things. You know, we can't just lay praise on this or just kind of crap on it the whole time. You know, there's some give and take in all this, but I think Marvel has delivered three high quality films this year. And realistically, I think Marvel's delivered or every film they delivered since Winter Soldier, I would consider a high-quality film. Yeah, it yeah. ebbs and flows in overall relative quality, but looking great here on the MCU side. You know, you think of the MCU films, they have 20 films so far, and yeah. all of them have been fresh and Rotten Tomatoes. And you look at this score, and, you know, me and Troy were kind of, like, lukewarm on it, but we still gave, like, a slightly positive review. Yeah. 
I think that's part of the reason why like there hasn't been a rotten MCU film. Like there's been films that we maybe not have as enjoyed as some of the other ones. Uh, Thor, The Dark World, Iron Man 3. Well, we didn't recommend Thor. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, that's all true. three of us turned it down. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, okay, right. so like ignoring that one. But, you know, I think like even like the worst of the MCU films, they're still not like terrible films. They're still enjoyable. You can still get something out of them. You'll have a good time when you go to the theater with them. And that's what it, like Rotten Tomatoes is. It's just, you know, if it's like, it's just like a review that's slightly positive compared to a review that's like 100% positive gets counted as the same score. Yeah. You know, so like that's why the MCU is so is able to be so successful and not get a rotten film is because even like they're ones that you like, okay, maybe this one might be rotten, um, but it's like high eighties is because it's still enjoyable. And for the most part, you know, you can still go have fun and take yeah. something out of it. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. All right, guys. Well, that about wraps it up here for our Ant-Man and the Wasp review. We've got a couple more reviews in the next couple of months and a lot of them are going to be retrospective reviews we're going to finish off our mc retrospective series here we're going to get into the dark knight eventually and we got a couple of films towards the end of the year and venom spider-man into the, into the spider-verse and aquaman so yeah. gonna be a bit of a lull here so we're going to fill some of that that movie film review with some of the retrospective series and coming forward over the next couple of weeks july this is going to be a bit of a difficult time because Holidays. Well, me in particular. I'm taking like three weeks off here. So oh, and you didn't invite me to your family holiday? No. <laughs> You're such a jerk. We could I, go podcast in your hotel room. This is true. And we, <laughs> we may have to do that. No. But what, what the next couple of weeks is going to look like is next week we're going to have a special release, actually. We, we've got this this thing we've teased a few times called the Nerd Room Detours. You know, Troy came out with the title and the concept of this. And this is just kind of a, a pickup of random banter that we recorded one night is it was a little while ago we recorded it but we just had some kind of real discussions a bit more explicit and we had a few beers and just kind of went around the table and tossed a few things out there so next week you're going to be seeing that the nerd room detours the first episode in that and we'd like to your guys feedback on that and just to understand and get kind of what you guys are feeling about that. That's going to be followed by Troy and Sanjay breaking down San Diego Comic-Con 2018. So primarily focusing on hopefully our first reveal of an Aquaman trailer. Hopefully a Shazam trailer. Yeah, maybe a Shazam trailer. So they're going to be breaking down some of the big reveals. And then the following week, you're going to get me on the solo talking about some of the smaller things from San Diego Comic-Con 2018. So we're all, what we're trying to do here is, is give us a little bit of a break from the weekly podcasting, but also still provide you guys an episode each and every Thursday. And then come August, we're going to get back to our regular news and reviews, and we're going to start trucking back out our monthly episodes. You'll see five episodes a month coming from here in the Nerd Room once we get in August and kind of have the ability to get back to normal a little bit before we get in the kids' school year and all that. So big things coming for the Nerd Room here. Make sure you keep it locked. If you want to be a part of the Nerd Room, you can always email us at thenerdroom at gmail.com. You can hit us up on Facebook or YouTube. And if you like Twitter, we're always there. You can hit us up. Our handles are always at the end of the episode. And I guess there's nothing else. Is there anything else we want to pump here? You know, we'll give a shout-out to Rob Wade. He always pumping us emotionally 14 and sanjay you've got your weekly release of youtube channel video our channel yes videos yeah i just piggybacked off our success so they're great we also got troy's workout weekly video (laughs) toning with troy (laughs) 
Yeah, watch that. Coming soon. <laughs> five minute abs. Yeah. And then I have four minute abs. And Tim's got three minute abs. Yeah. You know, I mean, who, who's you going to choose? The five or the three? Yeah, exactly. Three minutes. <laughs> All right, guys. So you'll be hearing from us next week, but we will be back at you. Well, there will be an episode, but it'll, you know what I mean. You'll get there. Don't worry about it. We'll see. Uh, and I guess until for a couple of weeks now, guys, for The Nerd Room, I'm Tim. I'm Sanjay. I'm Troy. And thank you for entering the Nerd Room. This has been a Nerd Room Podcast production. You can find our hosts, Tim, Troy, and Sanjay, on Twitter at TheNerdRM, TroyTheBoy87, and Sanjabi. For more content from the Nerd Room, check out TheNerdRoom.net. Don't forget to subscribe to the Nerd Room on iTunes, Podbean, and YouTube. Be sure to head over to StarWarsCommonwealth.com to find more podcasts in the Star Wars Commonwealth Podcast Network, including Talk Star Wars, Tumbling Saber, Generation X-Wing, Rogue Squadron Podcast, Skyrim's Podcast, and San Diego Sabers. Follow the Star Wars Commonwealth on Twitter at SW Commonwealth and take your first steps into a larger world.